Welcome to the City Life Podcast. I'm Tim Woody, the pastor of City Life Church in downtown Fort Worth. There is purpose for your life. There's a destiny you have yet to walk into, and there is hope regardless of what you're facing today. I encourage you to open your heart now to what God will be speaking to you over these next few minutes. Get in your Bibles, uh, dig into them, because we're going to look in two different locations today. One is Matthew chapter 12, verse 25, and then 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. Go ahead and find those two. Matthew 12, 25, we're going to get that scripture right off the bat here in just a second, and then we're going to jump into into the other scripture a little later in there. So I'm in a series of messages called Crushing Offense. And I started this last Sunday. We'll be continuing for the next three weeks. Uh, s- someone asked me, did you create this series of messages? Did you write these ser- to, to like uh, talk to me personally? Like, no, I, actually I didn't. Uh, these sermons, I, I've, I've written them and I put them together long before you, you even knew I was going to do a, a, diff- uh, an, a, a series like this on offense. But even as I was preparing today's message, and I, I, have, a, you know, I have most of it prepared, but I always, I, I always just go through and rework it and rework it. And I thought, man, this feels like a really heavy message. And I just want to let you know, it's, it is going to be a heavy message today. It's, it's probably going to nail you right between the eyes, but actually that's, that's the point. And, and I was praying about this. I said, God, can, can you just show me a method to soften up this message? And I, I, you know, so I don't know whether God's, sometimes you know when God's speaking, sometimes you don't. Is that me or is that God? But I felt the Holy Spirit said, no, you need to share it the way that I gave it to you. So, so I didn't soften it up at all. And is that okay? I mean, can you guys handle it? All right, good, good. That's, that's really what I want to hear, all right? So, so uh, this, this whole series on crushing offense, uh, you know, there are these things that happen, uh, arguments, and there are uh, there's just ruined relationships and fragile feelings and explosive emotions and where we assume the worst about people and, and, and it happens at home, it happens at work, it happens in the church, it happens all over the place. Any place where people want to build relationships or where relationships are built, offense has a way of digging itself in and I'll tell you, it is one of the most dangerous traps for Christians and we're going to address it. I addressed it last Sunday. We're going to address it for the next few weeks because I don't want offense in my life. Now, you get to choose whether you get to have it or not. I want you to choose along with me that, that you don't want it, but I just don't want it in my life. The, 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 the uh, title of today's message is Guard Your Heart. Guard Your Heart. And what we're going to talk about today, I'm going to talk about how to identify a spirit of offense. Uh, we're, we're going to basically use uh, some, uh, some self-diagnosis tools to see, like, are you carrying offense? Uh, I'm talking about how to protect yourself from offense and, and how to overcome offense. Now, Matthew chapter 12, verse 25, I, I asked you to turn there. I want you to look at this. This is a powerful scripture here. It says, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. Now, that's kingdoms. That speaks of nations, okay? So every nation, every kingdom that's divided against itself will be ruined. And every city 
or household divided against itself will not stand. A city, we know what that is, like Fort Worth. If Fort Worth is, it becomes a city where we are divided against ourselves, there's division in the city, we will not stand. Now, I want to thank God that we do live in one of the most unified, uh, uh, large cities in America. Really, I would say the most, understanding the large cities in America. We're very, very blessed about that. We're, we're very blessed to have that. In fact, I was looking at the, the 50 most dangerous large cities in the United States, and Fort Worth didn't even rank. So thank God for that. But, but, but see, what happens is where there's division in a city and it enters in the, and the people are fighting and feuding with one another in the city, it begins to crumble. It's actually a fulfillment of this scripture Jesus said right here. Now, it happens in cities, it happens in nations and kingdoms, but it also happens in households. Now, that word household is the Greek term oikos. It doesn't necessarily mean your home or your family. What, what that word means, it's actually a very broad term, which means a group of people who are bound together or are knit together. It could be a friendship network. It can be people who serve together and work together on a job. It can be your home family. It can be even a neighborhood if there, if there are tight relationships there. So wherever there are strong relationships, that's what that's saying, if there's division in there and you're divided against yourself, it's not going to stand. The business won't stand. The church won't stand. The family won't stand. And those are dangerous things. And we're going to address them. We're going to look at them. We're going to be honest with ourselves. So this can refer to, uh, of course, churches. It can refer to uh, school projects and companies, uh, uh, sports teams, <laughs> all that. See, those things will collapse if there is an offense that begins to fester in there and it stays in there. Now, most offenses are not genuine trespasses. They're not like genuine sins against other people. The vast majority of offenses aren't. Now, now I am going to deal with that here in a couple of weeks of what happens when it's an offense where you're actually sinned against. And that's a, that's a very different message because there's a different approach that we have to take. But today, I'm talking about the general category of offense, which happens to Really, all of us, every single person, we have to deal with this regularly. And, and, and offenses happen over the craziest things. Offenses can happen because of a person's loudness. They're like, they're just too loud, and I just, they make me angry. Or maybe they're a tire. Uh, their sense of humor. You ever just been offended at a person's sense of humor? Uh, you, don't, you don't have to identify yourself. You know you, know you have. Uh, maybe, maybe your neighbor's unmowed lawn. Or, or like, can't they simply wash their truck? You know, what is wrong with them? And, and, and you, you get offended. You're, it could be maybe somebody is inattentive to you because they're so busy looking at their phone all the time. You know what I'm saying? Or it could be something that actually I told you last week God delivered me from is getting offended because people are offended. Because when people got offended, I'd get offended. And then everybody was offended. And I was just like seething. I was like, how do I get unoffended? I don't know. But they're offended and they make me offended. So that's wrong. I finally, God just said, stop it, Tim. And that was a word from God, and I stopped it. I dug that out of my life, and thank God, I, I want to tell you, that was a big stronghold in my life years ago, and I, I am free from that. I'm grateful to God for it. But we still have to deal with offenses. There are a lot of causes. There are a lot of sources. And For example, offenses at church can happen because of disappointments. It can happen because uh, uh, of different perspectives regarding how things should be done. 
uh, could happen because of, of conversations or maybe decisions that a leadership team has made. Maybe it's, it's because of who receives paychecks and who doesn't. I've seen many offenses over that. Uh, I've seen offenses over church logos. I've seen offenses over the, the, the color of a carpet that was chosen by, by, by the church. Like, well, I'm offended. That color doesn't work well with me. I've heard people get offended because of an air freshener. Well, I'm not coming back to this church because you use lemon air freshener. Like, what the? You know, I don't know what to say to that, but, but like, I want to say, get over it. But pastors don't do that, you know? Uh, but but there's, there's also this perception of, uh, of, of, of like insensitivity. Maybe, maybe it was genuine insensitivity or maybe it's just a perception that, you were, that someone in the church or the pastor or whatever was insensitive to a crisis that you were going through or the crisis someone else was going through. It could be gossip. It could be backbiting. It could be, again, like taking up the offenses of other people. Offenses occur also in the home. Offenses occur in the home because of meals or spending habits. It could be about household chores. It might be about holiday plans or decorations or vacations and, and television shows, the use of time. It could, it could be marriage bed issues or accidents. Things like that cause offense within the home, and then there could be division, and the household falls apart. Offenses can also happen at work, and that can be through hirings and firings and promotions or hours and someone just told me the other day that they witnessed this explosion at their company of a person who just went into a rage over PTO and 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 they had to be escorted out by you know by the by the security and then they lost their job over it and it was just it just kind of make, makes me sad but but that's an offense they they were offended at the paperwork or they were offended at at a uh, maybe something was written in wrong but why do we have to get offended we actually don't I remember one time someone got offended at me at my church office. This is years ago when I was working on staff at a large church in southern Dallas County. And uh, we were having a financial crisis at the time in the church. And the air conditioner in my part of the building in the office complex where I was, the air conditioner was out. And it was out for about three months. And those three months were during the summer. And it just couldn't get fixed. And I was like, well, what do I do? That was before the days of laptops. You couldn't just take my laptop and move somewhere else. There was no such thing as Wi-Fi. We called it Wi-Fi. We didn't know that it existed. We thought there was Hi-Fi back then. And there was nothing. So what do you do? You got to work. I have to do this. And, And so, and I needed my office, so I couldn't figure out what to do. I brought a fan in there. That didn't help. I mean, it was one of those summers that was just like this one, where it's 104, 105 every day. You're miserable. So I I decided I'm just going to do what I'm going to do, and I broke some of the rules for the office. I, and I got permission from, from the, the senior pastor, but I would wear shorts and a T-shirt into my office because I would sweat. I mean, like, I mean, I'd be sweating in my office by midday. And I also changed my office hours from 5 a.m. to 1 p.m. That way, but when the heat of the afternoon came in, you know, I, I was out of there. I was out of there. And, you know, I, I don't know how people did it 75 years ago, but I'm just glad I didn't live back then. Any of y'all glad for air conditioning? Thank you, Jesus for air conditioning in Texas today. But I remember some staff getting very upset with me because I wasn't following the office attire. And they, they, you wouldn't want to see me in a nice shirt, all sweaty and nasty. You know? They were upset with me or were offended with me because I left the office early in their eyes. But, of course, I didn't see them up there at 5 a.m. But, but, uh, but you see, it, it's like, why are you going to get your offense? Why are you going to do that? Why are you even going to engage with that? Well, that's the question I'm asking you today. Why in the world do we do that? I'm not saying you, I'm just saying we. Now, 
I, 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 was, I was also confronted on this, like, well, Jesus didn't offend people, so you shouldn't either. Well, that's not true. Jesus offended people. Yes, he did. I'm going to give you three locations in the scriptures of where Jesus offended different groups of people. These are three totally different situations that happened. And let me just address you. Now, I want to let you know this. None of these were intentional offenses. They were a problem of the people on the other side who were receiving it and just saying, I don't like what he's saying. I'm going to get my feelings hurt. I'm going to get offended. And actually, the word offense pops up in all three of these. Uh, so, so one of them was when Jesus, in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus, uh, he, he offended people in the town he was born and raised, or the, the town he was raised in, in Nazareth. He offended people because he was working miracles. And they saw those miracles and they said, we, he shouldn't have that power to work miracles. Who is he? We saw him grow up. And they got, the Bible says they got offended at him because he was working miracles. Now that's just weird. That's just weird. But, but it happened. They got offended at him. And then it says, as a result of that, the faith level of the people in, this, in the community dropped to such a low level that God himself, Jesus Christ himself, could hardly work any more miracles. Wow. Did you get that? Offense stopped the work of the Holy Spirit. People could have been healed. People could have been delivered. But nope, somebody had to go and get themselves all offended. Stop the work of the Holy Spirit. Next one, First John, uh, John chapter, uh, not First John, but John chapter six. There's no First John six, is there? No, there isn't. John chapter six, verse fifty-three through sixty-six. You can read all this about this. This is another one where Jesus offended his followers. He had gotten this large group of followers. A lot of people were following him in his ministry, and they would they would go with him everywhere. A lot of times, we just think it was the twelve disciples. No, no, there were a lot of people that followed Jesus in his ministry, and uh, and and this offense happened. When, uh, when, and uh, that caused a lot of people to literally leave the group. They said, we're not going to follow your ministry anymore. And the numbers of people that were following him, I mean, it, it decreased drastically to the point to where the disciples, they were walking away. They said, we're done with this. We're not following you anymore. We don't like your teaching. And so, so what happened is even the disciples were going, hey, Jesus, you're offending them. You're offending them, man. Well, what is the deal? And Jesus said, oh, oh, you got a problem with my teaching too? You can go with them. Bye. You can hit the road if you want, and left them standing there looking like, what? What? You see, because the work that Jesus needed to accomplish, it had to flow through people who were just willing to pay the price and who would not be easily offended. And so all the easily offended people hit the road because they couldn't handle it. So God continued to work powerfully through this other group that was left after it was over with. Matthew, chapter number 15, verses 1 through 14, yet another incredible story. Jesus offended the religious leaders of the day. He made these religious leaders just angry. What he was doing is he was pointing out the hypocrisy in these religious leaders' lives, and it actually resulted in his own crucifixion because this was the trigger point of Jesus being crucified. And, uh, and, and I mean, they literally killed Jesus because they got offended because he called them out. Now, now I want to be clear here. Hypocrisy on the part of a spiritual leader is serious business, and it has to be dealt with. And Jesus was dealing with it, but they didn't like it, so they went ahead and said, we are offended that you would dare say that about us. Let's go ahead and kill the guy. I mean... That's some major stuff. All three of those are situations where Jesus offended people, but not intentionally. The people chose to get offended, and it had horrible results in the lives of people every single time. 
Now, here's another thing. Jesus never tried to go back and win the hearts of the people that he had offended. Did you know that? He didn't. He didn't waste his time doing that. Uh, he didn't attempt to chase them down and make them feel better. And I'll tell you, in my early years of ministry, I tried that. I tried that, and I, that's one of those things where I have a 100% failure rate at, as I was never able to win back a person who was offended. If a person is offended, you just let them go. Let them go, because that was part of the problem of me being offended that people were being offended, because I kept trying to work with them, and offense jumped right back on me. And so I finally learned part of my deliverance from being offended that people were offended is to not chase down the offended people to try and make them feel better about whatever. See, offense is ugly. I mean, it splits churches and families. It splits up marriages. It causes businesses to literally crumble. It it fuels workplace stress. And we need, we have to individually make the choice to not do it. Now, you can crush offense, but you need to guard your heart. You've got to guard your own heart. You've got to guard it. And one of the ways you begin to do that is by simply forgiving the person who has wronged you. Let it go. Hear me. God already forgave you. And some of the actions that were done against you, they were not intentional. They were maybe not an intentional desire to hurt you. And so you've just got to be able to release, release them to the Lord, release the situation, forgive, and literally put it behind you so that you can move on with your life because you're not going to be able to move on with your life. You're not going to be able to move on with your relationship with God either, which you'll see here in just a moment. If you don't forgive, you've got to let it go. Colossians chapter 3, verse 13, Paul says this right here on the screens. It says, bear with each other. It doesn't say put up with each other, but it says bear with each other. All right, you don't have to put up with stuff, but you need to bear. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. If you take anything out of this sermon today, take those last few words, those last six words, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Remember that. Put it to memory. That right there is foundational for pushing this stuff out. Now, if the offense is an isolated incident and it's likely to not be repeated again and it only affects you, then you can, and, and, and you know, the truth is, you can sincerely forgive that person. You can do it with sincerity and that's, that's actually pretty easy to do. Uh, and, and you've got to forgive that person. You've got to release it back to the Lord and just never mention it again because as soon as you mention it again, the truth is, that's the sign that you never really forgave. So, guard your heart. Guard your heart and refuse to let offense take up residence in you. You see, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and this is where the Holy Spirit lives and dwells. God lives in you. So why in the world are you going to let offense take up residence and live inside of you? In fact, some people will wear offense as a badge. I mean, they just, they're just wear, that, wear, wear that badge all the time, and, uh, and, and you, you dwell on it, and you get consumed by that offense, and you have these discussions and these arguments in your mind. Have you ever done that before? You're offended about something, and then you're having an argument, a discussion in your mind of what you're going to say when you see that person again. Of course, you're not going to do it, but, but you actually start rehearsing all that stuff. If you actually do it, then huh, that's a different story. But, but, uh, but you, you, it causes people to become overwhelmed with rage and bitterness and brawling slander and malice and if you don't believe me look at the bible ephesians chapter number four paul says this look at this this is good 
Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only, I like this, only, this is, this is a challenge because this is not easy, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, not your needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And right in the middle of this, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit by being angry and letting that stuff rage out of you. And so what he goes on to say is this. So here's what you got to do. You got to get rid of it. Get rid of it. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, every form of malice. And what are you going to replace it with? being kind and compassionate to each other, forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. Follow Jesus Christ, God's example, therefore, as dearly beloved children and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. (laughs) Get rid of that offense and get rid of all those symptoms that go along with offense that's listed right there. Get rid of it. You have to take action Get rid of it. You've got to push it out. It takes effort on your own. And you've got to get back to those basics of love. Get back to the basics of forgiveness. It is not, also hear me, it is not your business to try to set things straight. You're, you're, it is not your business to try to make all the things that are wronged right. Again, early in my ministry, I tried to make all the wrongs right, and I found out, wait a minute, that's not my job. I can't do it. I keep losing at that. Why? Because that's actually God's job. And we turn that over to God. God will make all things right on his day of judgment. So let him. Let him do that, and you're going to be able to walk in freedom. Just remember how much sin you were walking in. Remember how God forgave you. God did not hold your feet over the fire. God did not threaten you and just try to make your life miserable. No, what he did is he extended his mercy and his grace to you, and you didn't deserve it. And neither do they deserve it, but you're still going to offer it to them. Now, what is that whole thing? Why do we have to act like the Lord? Well, that's actually something, it's a really cool term. It's called Christianity. <laughs> it's called Christianity. It's where we, get, we, we look at Jesus, what Jesus did, and say, okay, well, that's what I'm going to do. And it works. It works. That's, that's, that's Christianity. But if you're harsh and you're judgmental and, and you don't show mercy in the situation, Scripture tells us this. This is serious. That God says that <laughs> you are actually going to get judgment without mercy on that day when he actually does make all things right. Get this. I mean, I want you to get this. You will be the recipient of judgment without mercy. Not the person who offended you. Not the person who hurt your feelings. It's you. Like, but wait, they're the ones who did it. No, but you're the one who's holding on to the offense, and you get judgment without mercy if you didn't show them mercy. Again, that's Christianity. James 2, 13 says, Judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. That's why we need to request the help of the Lord to identify uh, any offenses that are in us in the first place. We need to examine ourselves. Today we're going to have communion. Part of communion, it's really important. Jesus said we should do this regularly. Why? It's because it forces us to examine ourselves. We are supposed to do a self-exam when we do communion. That's why it's so important that we do it regularly because it kind of forces us to do the self-exam. And uh, 
We ask God to help identify anything that's there, any, any offense that we're holding on to. And then we ask God even for the root, root of why we're holding on to that offense. Like, God, why, why am I holding on to this offense? Why am I doing that? And it could be sin in your life. It could be, maybe it was pride. And I think the reasons I held on to some things uh, with, with offense in the past, for me, I think it was pride. Uh, maybe it's just selfishness. Maybe it's just your own impatience. Well, Jesus explained this. He said in Mark chapter 11, he said, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him. That's whenever we come together for prayer. There's prayer happening. This is a house of prayer. Forgive him so that your, heavenly, so that your father in heaven may forgive their sins. No, so that your father in heaven will forgive your sins, you as a Christian, have to forgive so that God will forgive you. Is that just crazy or what? I mean, I, I, maybe, maybe, you're, maybe you're of the philosophy of like, well, let's just talk about how God is love. Well, I am. This is actually God's love for us right there. He didn't want us bound up. It would, I think it would be nice to have a sign over, you know, over the, the door as soon as you walk in. You know, there, there are these gun-free zones. I, I'd like for this to be, that wouldn't work, you know, in, in Fort Worth. So, so what I would call it is I would love, because I know half y'all are carrying right now anyway. We got a cop out there. I, I'm all good with that. I'm all good with that. But hear me. I, I, th- I think it would be nice to have a big sign up that says offense-free zone. Yeah. Wouldn't that be cool? You walk in. This is an offense-free. Don't you dare carry an offense in here. Maybe you need to put that up in your home. Some of you may need to literally put that up in your home. (laughs) Offense-free zone. (laughs) In your business, if you're a business owner, create an offense-free zone. Somebody's got to lead. Somebody's got to step up to the plate. (laughs) So you say, well, then what will happen? What if I hold on to an offense? Well, my my feedback to that is like, why in the world would you want to? (laughs) I mean, why do we hold on to offense? Well, the English word offense is derived from the Greek language. So you understand the New Testament was written in the Greek language. So it's good for us to go back to the, the Greek and see what did that word mean. Now, the English word offense comes from a verb and a noun. Uh, the verb is scandalizo, and the noun is scandalon. Those are, those are the words that, uh, that, that it comes from. And I want to tell you what those words mean. So we can, never, we can never make the Bible mean something that it never meant. Okay? We, I, I, I don't have the freedom to do that. That's, that's manipulating the Scripture. So I'm not going to do that. And if I ever make an error, feel free to call me on it. Because we're the body of Christ. We do that for each other. But, but this, it's important to know what it meant. What did it mean when people heard that term offense, which in their language was, was scandalon or scandalizo? Well, here's what it meant. It meant a stumbling block. An obstacle that's on the path over which someone falls or stumbles or is hindered, that's an offense. An offense is a trap that's been baited for you. Offense is a trap with bait. (laughs) Quit running into that trap. Offense, it could be the cause of spiritual or moral ruin. Offense, according to the scriptures, means to suffer injury or to be hurt. It means to cause a person to begin to distrust or desert someone whom they once trusted. It means to wound with words or actions or to violate someone. 
It means to act injuriously or unjustly and to be insensitive. <laughs> so, so you look at that and you think, why in the world are offenses held on to? I don't know, because that's some pretty ugly stuff. Everything that's there is the opposite of our faith. It's the opposite of Christianity. So I challenge you, guard your heart, because when you continue to operate in an offense, you're actually doing the work of Satan, and I don't have any other way to say it more clear. I, I thought, man, people are going to think I'm being harsh or I'm being mean. No, I'm not. I'm going to tell you what's in the Bible. You're doing the will of Satan when you hold on to an offense. Now, why in the world do you want to hold on to that offense? You don't. You don't. See, the Apostle Paul spoke directly to this when he was giving advice to his uh, young minister, Timothy, who he put over the church in Ephesus. Timothy was the pastor of the church in Ephesus. And I've summarized this statement here. It's, it's the, the whole statement is found in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 23 through 26. But here's my summary of it. It's this. And these are the, what's in quotes is there. Those who are engaging in foolish and stupid arguments, we talked about that last week, need to come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil. All right? That is the bait that's in the trap, okay? Come to your senses. Like, wake up. Wake up. Come to your senses. Escape the trap of the devil. For, look at this, the devil has taken them captive to do his will. Holding on to offense makes you captive to the enemy. You're now in the trap, and you have to do the will of Satan. You have been taken captive to do Satan's will. That's it. That's it. It's right there in the, in the scriptures. You, you, so, so therefore, you can't do the will of God when you're engaging or you're holding on to a spirit of offense. If I hold on to offense, what will happen with me is my sermons will be, will be full of, of bitterness. And, and I, I don't want to do that. If you hold on to an offense, uh, your teaching is going to be full of bitterness. Your, your singing is going to be full of bitterness. And, and your small group will be a receptacle of bitterness. Your home will be full of bitterness. And why? It's because you can no longer do the will of God, and you're actually doing the will of Satan. That is one of the scariest scriptures that's there. But it's true. And most people who are offended, though, there's another side of this. Most people who are offended don't even realize it because it's just kind of like part of their lives. Uh, and so what we need is we need the Word of God to shine a light on it. We need the Holy Spirit to illuminate it. We often say we want revelation. Well, that is revelation. That's the light of the Spirit that's shining on something so you can begin to see it clearly. It's like, okay, I can deal with this now because the Word of God and the light of the Spirit is shining on it, and now it makes sense. So I'm going to give you, very quickly, I'm going to give you five clues. And, and so I call them clues or maybe symptoms uh, because, they're, because it's not 100% necessarily on all of these, but these are five clues to know if you're holding on to an offense. So now's the time you begin to examine yourself before we do communion. First of all, it's strained relationships. You'll just begin to notice that your interpersonal relationships are not what they used to be. Maybe you're not talking in your marriage anymore. You're not in, interacting or engaging with your family. Uh, maybe you're not uh, interacting with people in your church and you've moved into this protective shell um, because you want to just protect yourself so you won't get hurt anymore, not realizing you're actually hurting yourself all the more. And maybe you're refusing to fuel the relationships that could help you get back on your feet again because you're fear, in fear of getting hurt. Solomon said this, he said, an offended brother is more unyielding than a fortified city and disputes are like the bars of 
the barred gates of a citadel. Now, think about this. You see, the cities in those days had walls around them. Why did they have the walls? The walls were to keep the bad people out and only let the good people in. See? But what happens when you're offended, that's the imagery from that time. We, it's hard, hard for us to see that. But in the, in the same way, because we don't have walls around cities anymore, but in the same way, an offended person builds these walls up to keep people out. But unfortunately, they don't even let the good people in because they're so scared of getting hurt. This is, this is deeply spiritual. Now, I want you to look at, at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. I asked you to, to look that up earlier because this, this, this scripture passage is good for us because I, I want you to see the way we deal with this is we have to cast down the demonic powers that are behind this. Uh, and, and these are powers that have gained spiritual authority in your life because you're carrying an offense. And, uh, and so we, we have to wage war against those demonic powers. We don't wage war against people, not people. It's against the enemy. That's why we take those things to the Lord and, and we release them to God. All right. So 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. Okay, then what are they? Well, on the contrary, they have Our weapons have divine power, that means godly power, power from God, to demolish strongholds. I love that word, demolish. Demolish strongholds. Now, it says we demolish arguments. Now, if you look up on the screens, I put something in parentheses to help you to see through that because I did my word study on that, and that demolish arguments, you demolish reasonings, thought processes that are contrary to the, wor- to the will of God. So it's these things that are floating around in your head, how your mind begins to escalate, and, and these are, you're actually arguing against yourself in your head. You know, you know mental arguments that you do. Okay, that's, that's what it's talking about. So we de- spiritual warfare is demolishing the mental arguments that you're, that you're putting up with, that you're allowing in your head. And it says, and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every, what? Thought. Thought, it's in our minds. And we make those thoughts obedient to Christ. So we use our spiritual weapons to demolish strongholds, strongholds of arguments and reasonings, thought processes that are against the will of God. And and those thought processes are actually the walls that we put up around our lives when we're operating in offense. Those thought processes are what's going to keep everybody out, and we got to let those things come down. Those spiritual walls must come down through spiritual warfare, so you got to blast those walls down. And today, I want you to blast some walls down. Okay, here's a second clue. A second clue to, to know if you're carrying an offense, holding an offense, is resistance to authority. Uh, there will be this resistance to react and to not uh, give in to God-ordained authority. And we're seeing this really in an in, in epidemic proportion here in our nation at this time. And it could be in, uh, within the family. You no longer are going to honor the designated leader of the family. It could be in the church, which could be a, a pastor, or a small group leader, or an elder, or a ministry team leader. It could be uh, social. It could be like a teacher or a coach. It could be civil, which is a police or a judge or, or mayor. It could be a city council person. <laughs> yeah, it could be the president. I always like throwing that one in there because people say, well, I'll tell you what I think. I really don't want to hear what you think. Did you hear me? I don't really want to hear what you think. It's, it's so funny because 
we'll, I get together. I, I, do, I like doing things that are in the Bible. You, you got, y'all cool with that? The Bible says we're supposed to pray for our leaders, and for years I've done that. I mean, years and years I've, I've done that. I pray for the leaders. Come on, let's pray for our president and people. I've, this, this has, like, been consistent through the years. I'm not going to pray for that person. They're evil. It doesn't matter which president it is. I'm always told that the president in office is evil, and they're not going to pray for them. They're not going to respond to their authority. It's like, well, I'm sorry. I, the Bible tells us to. Now, I'm not even sorry. So stop that nonsense. All right. So, so, but, but the resistance that we have, it's not always full-blown rebellion, but, um, but it could just be that when sensitive times come or tough times come, you see it rise up. That is a good example of this. That's where counsel is rejected and ideas are ignored. Decisions are overturned by authority or by you because you don't like the authority. You agree with the authority when you're face-to-face with that authority, but when the husband or the the parent or or the the boss or whatever isn't there, then you reject that authority. And it always, most likely, not always, but most likely can be traced back to an offense. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give account. Anyone who's in leadership, you will give account. You will give account. So that's the thing about, well, I want to be a leader. Well, are you ready to give account? Because the Bible says a lot of stuff about that, but it's not this sermon. But it says, Obey them so that their work will be a joy and not a burden, for that will be of no advantage to you. In fact, it is of a disadvantage to you to not obey your leaders, to submit to them who are in authority. And everyone has authority in their lives. All of us do. Third way to know that you might be holding an offense, this third clue is detachment and drifting from the church. Now, there's this, it, it's actually an emotional uh, detachment from the body of Christ. And, and I would say it's first typically detected by... Um, by distancing or moving away from the hub of the church or the, or the center of the church and, and then moving away from even the, the, the family of God, the church at large. It's not like a quick leaving of the church, well, whatever, but, but it's, it's this gradual, subtle uh, drifting away. We're like, well, I'm, I, I, I'm just going to quit my connect group. I don't want to be in that group anymore. And, and uh, you, you break away from serving in your ministry. You, 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 be, you just stop tithing. You make excuses for why you can't be around. You say, well, I'm just going to watch online, and you do for two weeks, then you never do again. And you try to act like you're watching online, but I know you're not because I'm on there saying hi to everybody, and and you weren't on there. But (laughs) you guys know I said hi to most of y'all today. But, guys, we and it's okay if you're watching online. I'm not getting on to y'all. I'm just saying the people who say they are, but they're not. How many times have y'all done that? Yeah, yeah, I'm watching online. You're not. You're at the lake. You don't even have a Wi-Fi out there. You don't have a signal. Nothing. But it's okay. I mean, just be honest. But it's not okay to drift away from the church because we need one another. We need one another for spiritual purposes. I need you. We need each other. And offense, what it does is just keeps you battling with other people. And and the the enemy's stronghold, therefore, is going to remain intact. It's going to be unpenetrated because you're fighting people. You're not fighting the enemy. Stop fighting people. Start fighting the real enemy. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27 says, Do not give the devil a foothold. (laughs) 
That means don't give the devil leverage in your life. The unresolved offense, what it does is it gives the devil leverages, leverage in your life and it lures you away from the body of Christ and it begins to create even more havoc internally and then the steps are the bitterness begins to take over. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15 says this, See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. So it poisons not only your soul, but it poisons other people around you. Here's a fourth way, a fourth clue to know that you might be holding an offense, and it is the rivers of the Holy Spirit become dry. There's the, the fresh, powerful flow of the Holy Spirit in a believer is likened to, scripturally, as a mighty river. So when offenses come in, it, it, it begins to clog up these spiritual wells. It's like huge boulders that block the river's flow, and it begins to dry up. If you've been around our rivers around here lately, they're kind of drying up. There's not much there. There's a little trickle, a little stream. And, and that is a good example of offense. This is what happens. Uh, and, and it manifests itself in a lot of different ways. One is you show, this is interesting because since the river's not flowing, you show up at church, but you say, I just can't get fed. And so you know something's wrong, but you just can't get fed. Well, I'm sure you're not getting fed, but the problem is, is that the river of the Holy Spirit has been blocked up. So it's like, well, then it must be somebody's fault. You don't even realize you're doing this. And I'm not being mean to people. I'm just saying, we don't, we don't realize we're doing this. We, so we say, well, it must be the pastor's fault. He's not studying enough. Well, the pastor took a day off, or, or, or it could, that's probably because of the elders in the church. We know how they are. Or, uh, my small group leader, <laughs> he's probably reading that out of a book. Uh, or, or maybe you come to church and the worship is going on, but you can't engage in the presence of God. You stand there, you sit there just thinking, I don't, I don't feel anything right now. You see others entering in, other people engaging. So, therefore, you know something's wrong, but you can't figure it out. And so that's when you, well, in your brain, your brain says, well, I've got to blame someone. So you blame the worship leaders, or you blame the worship team. You blame the songs that the congregation is singing. You blame the guy who's running the slide. Well, if he just put up the right slide, I'd be able to worship God, <laughs> you know. Uh, I've heard that one a million times. You blame the audio technicians. Well, it just wasn't sounding quite right. The EQ could have been a little different. I would have been able to worship God, but I couldn't because of that EQ. Love you guys up there. But I love you. But sometimes we get it wrong, right? But that in no way should prevent you from worshiping God. It goes back to something internally here. So, so look at these symptoms. Here's another one. You, you once gave with a joyful heart in the offering, but now you can't do that anymore. And so you blame the usher. You blame Jake for his, for his talk. You know, it didn't motivate me. So I don't know. You blame the bank account. You blame your boss. You blame your spouse. Uh, also, you, you, maybe you can't engage God through prayer. It's so like, well, the problem is, is the person who's leading prayer at the church, it's their problem because the way they lead. Like, they whisper prayers. I can't hear them, so if I could hear, or, or, or whatever. Um, you blame the temperature in the room. You blame the lighting in the room. I, I don't know. But if these things are happening, these are just little symptoms to watch out for, that it's very likely that you are becoming bitter, and the, the rivers of the Holy Spirit are drying up. And Jesus, right now, he's calling out to you, and he's asking you to cleanse your heart and to, to, to release this and get hungry and thirsty for the presence of God. Again, John chapter 7, verse 37 says this, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me. 
and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, streams of living water will flow from within him. And by this, he meant the Holy Spirit. That's why, run to Jesus. Don't be late for worship and praise. Don't get, get out here to tonight's prayer meeting. Just do it. Just, just like literally do it. You're not going to be doing anything anyway. And don't tell me you're going to be working in the yard at that time. The hottest part of the day is right there. So come in here where we'll have the air conditioner on. But come and be here tonight at 6 p.m. But I would say the greatest clue or evidence that you might be holding on to an offense is that your love has grown cold. You find yourself not loving other believers like you once did. You find yourself easily irritated or angered, frustrated with your spiritual uh, brothers and sisters, the body of Christ, the church family, other believers. And you find yourself violating what we see written out in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And when you begin to violate that, I went through that last week, then you'll know that that's actually one of the clues that you're holding on to an offense. So are any of those clues relevant to you? Now, I'm not asking you to, to let me know. This is, this is self-exam. Go through them again. Clue number one was strained relationships. Clue number two is resistance to authority. Clue number three is detachment and drifting from church. Clue number four is the rivers of the Holy Spirit become dry. And clue number five is your love has grown cold. All right, now let God convict. Let there be revelation from the light of the, from the, light of the word of God and through the Holy Spirit to say, you know what? There is this offense that's there. I'm, I'm ready to get this out of my life. <laughs> so here's the solution. It is to guard your heart and continually cleanse your mind and spirit. See that word continually? It's not a once for all thing. That's one of the reasons why we continually come to church. It's, it gives us a, the, the word of God, the Holy Spirit. It illuminates, there's revelation so that we can cleanse our heart and our spirit because a lot of times we're carrying around junk and we don't even realize we are. And I think that's most of the time for us. My prayer is that the Holy Spirit is showing this to you now. And that's why communion is a powerful tool also. We're commanded by Jesus, do this regularly. Now, Paul when he was writing to the church he planted in the ancient Greek city of Corinth, he wrote these words to them about communion. I, I really like it. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16, he puts it in question form, but follow me, is not the cup of thanksgiving, which would have been the, the element representing the blood of Christ, for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ. So he says, like, when we take of the cup, that means we're participating in the blood of Christ. Say, so, yeah, okay, I'm into that. I think if you're a believer, you're, you're into participating in the blood of Christ because that's what frees you. That's what cleanses your sin. So it delivers you. But then he also said, and is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? So the, 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 the imagery here is a loaf of bread that they would tear apart and what he's saying is the bread, we, you know, it represents the body of Christ. You know that. It, the bread represents the body of Christ, but it also represents the body of Christ. Us. We are the body of Christ. And so we are all participating. The beautiful thing about bread, <laughs> you bake some bread, you put all those ingredients in there, and, and when it all comes out, unless you have some chunks of some crazy stuff in there or whatever, you like chunky bread, good. But if it's just regular old bread... 
all those ingredients are all mixed up together and nothing's standing out and it's all beautiful. It works together, flows together. That's the beauty of the body of Christ. The bread represents we are all participating in the body of Christ. Therefore, we don't have any room to be holding on to this stuff because it poisons everyone else. He says, because there's one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share the one loaf. All right. We're going to do communion here in a second. But the first thing we need to do is to, is to make sure that our lives are given over to Jesus. So before I go any further, if you are here and you're not in a right relationship with Jesus, you're not saved, you're, you, you, you're just not there spiritually at all, there's sin in your life and you need to get that sin out, then what I'm going to ask you to do is just simply give it to the Lord. Ask Jesus to come into your heart and cleanse your sin. That's the first thing I want to do. So if you're not serving God, you're not a believer, you're here today or maybe you've just been checking this thing out for a while, now's your time. Now's your time to make that decision. So please no looking around in this building. I want to take just a moment. If that's you and you need Jesus today, at the count of three, lift your hand high because I want to see that hand. I'm going to connect my faith with that hand. And what we're going to do is we're going to pray together. Your sins will be forgiven. We're going to receive Christ together. If that's you, you need Jesus today. Your sins forgiven. Lift your hand at the count of three for me. One, two, three. Lift it up so that I can see. Thanks. Who else? Thank you. Who else? Thank you. Put your hands down. Thank you, God. All right, if you lifted your hand, I want you to pray these words with me. Church, pray these words with me also. If you're online right now and you know that's you, let one of the moderators know that you need to give your life to Jesus Christ. And I want you to pray with me right now. Church, pray as well as an encouragement to those who are giving their lives to Christ right now. Pray these words. Dear Jesus, I come to you a sinner. And I ask you to forgive me. Cleanse me of my unrighteousness with your precious blood. Today I give my life to you. Thank you for forgiving my sin. I also make the choice that I'm going to point my life in a different direction. And I'm not going back to that way of life. In Jesus' name. Thank you for tuning in to the City Life Podcast. If you're interested in attending our Sunday service or would like more information, go to citylifefw.org.